Hey, it's me, Curious City reporter Adriana Cardona Magigad. Almost every day recently, we've been hearing something new about migrants coming to Chicago. That's because the city has been experiencing a surge of people, mostly from South and Central America, who've crossed the U.S.-Mexico border fleeing poverty and violence in their homelands, countries including Venezuela, Haiti, Cuba, and Nicaragua. Since last August, more than 8,500 immigrants have arrived in Chicago. Most of them were bused here by government officials in Texas. But that number is expected to be even greater after May 11. That's when the federal government plans to lift a pandemic-era rule that prevents people from seeking asylum at the border. Since last summer, Government officials, community organizations, churches, and volunteers in Chicago have been working hard to set up shelters for many of these new arrivals and to provide them with basic necessities like clothing, food, diapers, and medicine. But it's been impossible to keep up with the demand. The lack of space has forced the new arrivals to seek refuge in the most unexpected public places. Well, migrants are sleeping on the floors at Chicago police stations, and this is... With America's migrant crisis, many say about to go from bad to worse. And now area shelters are reaching capacity. Many Chicago residents are shocked that pregnant women and children are also waiting in these stations. This week, outgoing Mayor Lori Lightfoot announced that the city's resources are at capacity and declared the migrant situation a state of emergency. Listener Jeros Dernet has been concerned since last August when buses first started arriving from Texas. He asked Curiosity if Chicagoland is geared up for continuing waves from southern border states. It doesn't seem like we have an organized metro-wide plan to support people with a way when someone has been has been shipped across the country, maybe against their will, and they show up in Chicago and they step off that bus. City officials often refer to Chicago as a sanctuary city, meaning that it protects migrants from being detained by federal immigration officials. Chicago also says that it wants to be welcoming and help newcomers start a new life here, no matter their immigration status. But these ideals are being tested now. Organizations on the front line say many migrants are getting help, but it will take time to reach everyone. It's actually not that different from COVID, which also was a crisis that we're still recovering from. That's Sally Blunt, president and CEO of Catholic Charities. We didn't get it all fixed in a month or two. We didn't have all the resources we needed. And the same thing is true with the migrants is we don't have all the infrastructure in place on day one, but we have systems for getting there. In this episode, we bring you the story of a woman who was on one of those very first buses from Texas last fall. She was given one choice, Chicago or New York. Her name is Carolina Sandoval, a 46-year-old woman from Venezuela. Now in Chicago for eight months, we follow her on her journey to find the stability that she and thousands of others are looking for. Her story coming up.
Do you need a break from the news? Well, my friend, Nerdette Podcast is here for you. Our show is all about delight. We laugh about what's happening in pop culture and feature thoughtful interviews with fascinating people. We even have a monthly book club that you can participate in. I could just go on and on about it. I loved this book. It was an experience. I'll tell you that. (laughs) I discovered authors I had never heard of and I'm really happy that I did. Come hang out with us. Listen to Nerdette wherever you get your podcasts. It wasn't long ago that Carolina Sandoval arrived in Chicago during that first unexpected wave of migrants when Texas Governor Greg Abbott started busing hundreds of asylum seekers to cities like Chicago and New York. When she got off the bus after a long trip from the Texas border, she and her fellow travelers were greeted by none other than outgoing Mayor Lori Lightfoot. In those early days, Lightfoot went to welcome the arriving migrants and would hold press conferences. Last night, we showed our mettle, the best of who we are. We have organized and collaborated and come together to ensure that a group of migrants from Venezuela would have food, clothing, and shelter. And that's what we do, because this is who we are as Chicagoans. I first met Carolina last September at a church event on Devon Avenue. We're not using her full name. She was there with other migrants. They all had been staying at a makeshift shelter at a vacant YMCA in the West Ridge neighborhood. That night, the church had invited the new arrivals for a pizza dinner. Jeans, jackets, socks, underwear, all piled up on tables outside by the sidewalk for the migrants to take with them as needed. Carolina took a couple sweaters and jeans, but she was having a hard time finding her size. The biggest need Carolina told me back then was to find a home. She thanked God for the shelter they were in, but after spending weeks crossing more than six countries, many sleepless nights on the streets, and days in an immigration detention center in Texas, she wanted to find a place with a bed and a shower just for her. Carolina and the migrants looked tired that night I was there, but they also seemed excited about a fresh start in Chicago. This was also the start of many efforts between government officials and local organizations to aid and house the newcomers. I've stayed in touch with Carolina since that night. City officials sent Carolina and others from the YMCA to a hotel near O'Hare Airport. She felt completely lost. Without public transportation, she couldn't get to thrift stores or find work. She had no money or family to rely on. She had no other choice but to stay where officials were sending her. Since then, Carolina has come a long way. She's more independent now and has her own place. But it hasn't been easy. To understand where she's now, we need to look back at how far she's come, starting with her decision to leave her home in Caracas, Venezuela. Life there got so hard that Carolina felt she had no other choice but to flee to the United States. Years ago, back in Caracas, she had her own food stand, she was a go-getter, 
and she was doing good. Vendíamos café, vendíamos eh, eh, golosina. We were selling in the streets, she says. We sold coffee, fast food, like hamburgers and hot dogs. Y, y a mí me iba bien. I had my own home, my motorcycle. I had everything, she says. But over the past decade, the country's economy collapsed under the authoritarian presidency of Nicolás Maduro. Our currency was completely devalued, she says. Allá la moneda se fue devaluando, 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 devaluando la bolivia que ya no había. Cash simply became hard to come by. Y ya no había efectivo. When I ask her about the monthly minimum wage by the time she left Venezuela, she gets frustrated. She says the minimum wage is about $5. No, si el sueldo mínimo de Venezuela son $5. Not only that, she and her husband have to pay a fix to groups called colectivos, she says. Those are civilians who work for Maduro and force residents to pay hefty fees to be allowed to stay in their homes or to go about their lives. Si tú no le pagas a ellos, tienes problemas con ellos. If you don't pay, she says, you're in big trouble. The fix, Carolina says, is usually half the amount of the money we make. Prácticamente tenía que pagar una vacuna, como te digo, allá es soberano. Ay, como decir, soberano, si tú ganabas mil soberanos, tenías que pagar 500 soberanos. If we want to keep our assets, like our home. No pagábamos, nosotros no volvíamos a ver la casa. And her Pero sons were in danger casa, too. When her youngest was 18, the colectivos tried to kill him, she says. We couldn't leave our home. We were harassed all the time. Quisieron matar a mi hijo de 18, tenía 18 años cuando lo quisieron matar. Y ya no podíamos salir de la casa. Era una amenaza todo el tiempo. Los colectivos no tenían amenazado, nos amenazaban. That son was also in the military. She says he had orders to harass and hurt residents who weren't paying their shares. He didn't want to do that. No, no, mamá, yo no puedo estar en esto. After so much extortion and attempts by government officials to take over their home, she and her husband decided to leave and head to the United States, just like many of her friends and neighbors in Caracas were doing. Salimos, empacamos lo que pudimos, una maletica él, una maletica yo, vámonos. Nos fuimos en la noche, salimos en la noche y nos vinimos. She says she packed her bags with just the essentials. Then she traveled through Colombia and spent eight days in the dangerous landscape of the Darien Gap into Panama. On Carolina's journey through the jungle, little by little, she and her husband began leaving behind a few belongings they had with them. La selva parece un supermercado. Pero imagínate subir una montaña de 14 horas con una maleta. The jungle is filled with stranded belongings of fellow asylum seekers. Shoes and water bottles. She says it looks like a supermarket. Imagine hiking up a mountain for 14 hours with a suitcase, she says. I threw away everything. Yo boté todo. Yo boté paño, cobija. My clothes, my blankets. The more you walk, the heavier everything gets. Mientras más camina, más te pesa. Mientras más camina, más te pesa. Yo boté todo. Carolina says, crossing the jungle was a traumatizing experience. Yo pensé que no íbamos a salir nunca de la selva. Nos perdimos, nos perdimos y yo lloraba. Y yo decía, Dios mío, clamándole a Dios para que nos saliéramos de ahí. They didn't eat for three days. Her husband is diabetic. 
They got lost for a while. Aparte que duramos tres días sin comer. Mi esposo es diabético, veníamos mal y yo decía, Dios mío, sácanos de aquí, bueno. She says, the smell of dead bodies filled the air. Había gente ya que tenía tiempo muerto. Aparte, el barro no nos dejaba caminar. El sitio olía a muerto. Tengo que hablar por mis compatriotas que venían atrás. Muchachas bonitas que sí, fueron abusadas sexualmente. She traveled with other Venezuelan women who later said they were raped and robbed. En esa selva tú no podías auxiliar a nadie, solamente una palabra de aliento. You see people stuck, asking for help, and you just can't stop, she says. All you can do is offer a word of encouragement. Yo tengo grabada en mi mente esa muchacha que era, era gordita y la muchacha pedía un auxilio y ahí tú no puedes ayudar a nadie. En esa selva es, es como sálvese quien pueda, tú o te salvas tú o no te salvas. When they got to the U.S.-Mexico border in Texas, she and her husband were separated. U.S. immigration officials sent them to different detention centers. Carolina says she had to let go of the last few items she had from her journey, including what she was wearing. Immigration officials gave her a new set of clothes. Ya lo único que traía era un mon, un, un, un licra, una blusita y unos zapatos, que me lo quitó migración. Porque después que llegas a migración, migración te quita lo que te queda. All she had left was her Venezuelan passport and her phone. There she was allowed to shower only once, she says. Con eso tiene que durar tu tiempo metido ahí, sin bañarte, sin cepillarte, sin nada. Así es migración. She spent about two weeks in that detention facility. After that, government officials gave her two options. Chicago, Nueva York. No te daban opción de más nada. Chicago, Nueva York, Chicago, Nueva York. Carolina says New York seemed too big, too scary, so she picked Chicago instead. Eventually, she and her husband found one another and they reunited here. Carolina's story is a window into what's possible, especially for the thousands of other migrants who have landed in Chicago, with more on the way. Coming up, we'll tell you about how Carolina began to make a new life for herself and her family in Chicago what kind of support was out there for her, and what challenges did she face. More on that after the break. Do you need a break from the news? Well, my friend, Nerdette Podcast is here for you. Our show is all about delight. We laugh about what's happening in pop culture and feature thoughtful interviews with fascinating people. We even have a monthly book club that you can participate in. I could just go on and on about it. I loved this book. It was an experience, I'll tell you that. <laughs> I discovered authors I had never heard of, and I'm really happy that I did. Come hang out with us. Listen to Nerdette wherever you get your podcasts. It wasn't too long ago that Carolina Sandoval was sleeping on a cot in one of the city's shelters, waiting for help with housing, food, clothes, and transportation. She went from being in full control of her life back in Venezuela to not even having an extra pair of jeans when she got here. She was at the mercy of city officials and volunteers in Chicago, thousands of miles away from her homeland. But to Carolina, Coming to the U.S. was the only way to escape the violence, government harassment, and financial hardships that she had endured back home. And since arriving last August, 
She's been determined to make it work. Permiso. <laughs> Recently, I went to visit Carolina okay. at the two-bedroom apartment she's renting on the southwest side. Okay, aquí te espero. She invited me into her living room and asked me to sit on a comfortable gray sofa. Next to the sofa, there was a desk with a computer, a shelf with a TV, and a few fake plants, much of which was donated to her in recent months. Her new place is cozy, and she's so happy that she has her own bed, her own bathroom. I asked her, Carolina, how do you feel? ¿Cómo te sientes? Bien, gracias a Dios. ¿Sí? Carolina is looking proud. She smiles and says, good. I asked, did you ever imagine this life? She quickly interrupts, looks across her living room and says, like this? And with all these things? No. <laughs> Not at all. But how do you go from being forced to get rid of everything you have to rebuilding a whole new life in a completely different country and city. Carolina says she got to where she's now through a patchwork of support from many different agencies, churches, and individuals. Starting last August, Chicago city officials and community organizations came up with an emergency plan to assist the new arrivals. The city opened over 10 emergency shelters and is helping coordinate food, transportation, and other social services. City officials say they are spending millions on this effort and have been advocating for more funding from the state and federal government. Carolina was given shelter at a YMCA briefly until she and her husband were moved to a suburban hotel near O'Hare, along with many other asylum seekers. Living out in the suburbs was harder. I was all the way by Cumberland, she says, without money and a way to get around. It was harder to get a job. And Carolina was determined to find work to help her sons get here from Venezuela. But she hustled. She found a variety of odd jobs, including cleaning houses, she also stayed connected with volunteers and organizations who helped her with transportation and other basic needs. Eventually, she was able to get rent assistance for three months. With that, she was able to start setting down roots. She'll soon start paying rent on her own. Gracias a Dios, conseguí un arriendo. Este, tuve aquí lo que hago es trabajillo, con, igual con mi esposo. Primero, porque yo no quiero estar en albergue, yo... Many migrants coming to Chicago during this crisis hope to find that same kind of stability. But in the last month, the number of people seeking shelter here has increased from about 10 each day to up to about 125, according to city officials. And for weeks, emergency shelters have been packed with migrants, now many public places are becoming temporary shelters, like police stations and park buildings. So to Jerez's question, yes, local leaders and many community agencies have created an emergency plan, but its limits are being tested. The city is in crisis mode and in a transition between two mayoral administrations. Brandon Lee is with the Illinois Coalition for Immigrant and Refugee Rights, he says, now is the time to start implementing permanent solutions. 
support for this population, for migrants, should be ongoing and not tied to when buses are arriving because people have been and will continue coming to Chicago and to Illinois. And beyond that, I would also say that state and city coordination is key. We need to be working together with all levels of government to mobilize resources. Sally Blunt, who leads Catholic Charities, says in these times of desperate need, service providers and government agencies are trying their best. We found 700 apartments with signed leases for migrant families. You know, that is progress. I mean, 700 signed leases for families that now have homes that are moved into them. So I would still argue that is progress. And all we can do is family by family, person by person, find out if they want to go meet their family and friends somewhere else in the country. But she's also worried the number of migrants from Central and South America is expected to grow after May 11. That's when the federal government plans to lift a pandemic era rule that has prevented migrants from seeking asylum at the border. Public assistance is also about to get harder to come by due to recent changes in federal policy. We have this a humanitarian surge coming that's more than the migrants, and we're called to simply open our arms and do the best we can do. Make sure they have a meal at 721. And if we have to serve 300 meals tonight, and if we run out, let's make sure we've got food card left over so you can go to McDonald's. Another challenge is that Chicago is already struggling with a housing crisis, leading some residents to question how the city can take care of new arrivals when their chronic needs are not being met. For example, city officials have been trying to open an emergency shelter at a vacant school in the South Shore neighborhood. But residents who recently gathered at a community meeting are saying no. It is insulting that you would use a piece of vacant public property that is to be used for the benefit of taxpayers and use it for something else. It is insulting that you didn't consider the taxpaying property owners, seniors, and constituents living in our forgotten communities located on the south side of Chicago. Other sites up for discussion include McCormick Place, Navy Pier, and vacant big box stores. Our question asker, Jerez, whose family immigrated from Ireland generations ago, says... There's another way to think about what's happening in the Chicago area now. The metro area has been declining in population for years, and Jeros thinks this new wave of migrants could help revitalize our communities. I think it makes a lot of sense for us to, you know, make the best of of a situation we didn't sign up for with busloads of immigrants being shipped to us and help us to fill in those gaps where people have been leaving communities. Back in Carolina's home, the whole family has been reunited in Chicago. Her two sons and her daughter-in-law are now with her. And just last month, her grandson, Isaac, was born, the first member of the family to be a U.S. citizen and a Chicagoan. But there are many challenges ahead for Carolina and the thousands of migrants hoping to find a legal path to live and work in the United States. Applying for asylum is not easy. Denial rates have historically been high. She says she can't go back to Venezuela. Carolina says she's going to keep fighting to stay independent, keep working hard. Mi 
maybe even open up her own Venezuelan restaurant that offers Colombian food. Las arepas, empanadas. Los And why not? Maybe even Mexican food. Y aprendiera la comida mexicana. People will love it, she says. Que la gente le gusta. Curious City is supported by the Conant Family Foundation and is produced by Jason Mark and Jody So. Maggie Sivet is the digital and engagement producer. Marie Mendoza is WBC's podcast fellow. Susie Ann and Johanna Sorn edit the show. And I'm Adriana Cardona Magiga. Thanks for listening. Before we start the show, we here at Curious City want to let you in on a little-known fact about WBEZ. 89% of all our funding comes from community support, including contributions from curious listeners like you. If this program has changed how you see Chicago, please consider supporting this program at wbez.org slash curious. Thank you.